everybody. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And we are usually a happily married couple of 14 <laughs> years. We usually are happy with our four children, ages 11 through 3. Four. Four. We and usually remember how long we've been married and how old our kids are, but we don't hold it against each other if we don't. That too. Um, and we usually homeschool. We also usually... If we're not homeschooling, I'm going to go turn the light off in the living room because we usually try to turn lights off when we're not Yes, in room. otherwise we usually uh, draw too much power in the house because the kids run around and leave everything on. Anyway, if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. We're so happy you've chosen to spend the next hour or so with us, or maybe shorter if you listen to us at one and a half times speed or two or something. Apparently a lot of people do. I don't, but a lot of people do. Um, we don't pre-plan our conversations. We don't discuss what are we going to talk about in this week's show. We don't do any of that. We just sort of dive into the conversation. Um, usually I'm busy enough and Molly's busy enough that we don't spend a ton of time like connecting with one another. So the show kind of becomes this connection point for us and we record it and you guys get to experience reality podcasting maybe that's our new jam <laughs> reality um i have no idea where the usually came from it just sprang to mind as i opened the show because you were usually a little bit there, random there you go i was gonna write some, oh. so yes Ren- molly's back from turning off the lights as well um I and am. things Anyway, I have lots to think about and lots to say. Also, you had an incredibly busy weekend, which we'll get to, too. Also, what we I was actually segueing into that Ah. because Jr. and I spent two hours in the car together on Sunday evening. So we did actually do some talking more than we usually get to do. Was it two hours or was it like an hour and a half? Oh, it was two hours. It was like two hours. Two hours. It just time with you flies, so it just feels like oh, time flies time. when you're having fun. Yeah, when I'm with you, it just seems like a minute, you know, right? An eternity, a million thousand years, or like a day, right? So the reason we had these two hours in the <laughs> with car with my kids, it's a day is like a thousand years. <laughs> yes, Sorry. yes, indeed. Okay, I'm Sometimes done. I'm done. I swear. I had the chance to go to the Wild and Free Homeschool Conference that was Friday night and Saturday. With two sisters-in-law, Jr.'s sister and his brother's wife, and we flew in on Thursday afternoon and drove down to Waco and did the Magnolia thing on Thursday night and Friday, and then we did the conference in Dallas on Friday night and Saturday and flew home on Sunday, and because I have sisters-in-law who are not only delightful and great fun and like to think and talk we basically talked non-stop even though two of us would probably categorize ourselves as introverts we basically talked non-stop from the minute i got into the car until the minute we said goodbye on sunday morning so that was great but I'll, but not exhausting interestingly enough because there was a nice balance of how we spend our time. And also, sister-in-law Rebecca loves to find p- good places to eat. 
and enjoy good food. So she did literally for every meal she had planned out somewhere for us to eat and very gently would be like, well, this is what I was thinking we could do. It looked good and interesting. And Carrie and I would go, cool. yes, okay, good. That way I don't have to think about it. And I'm pretty much guaranteed that Rebecca did the, did the research and it's going to be great. So we did that. I, I'm sitting here next to a giant stack of books because I read... I read several books. I read part of Truman's Strange New World. I finished C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce on my way down. I also listened to a podcast about teaching Shakespeare in your homeschool that Carrie had recommended since I mentioned needing to figure out how I was going to teach Shakespeare for our last week of homeschool. I also have in front of me a book, two books that just some of the great divorce reminded me of that are Nancy Piercy and Tim Keller. And then I'm sitting in front of two books from two authors that I heard speak at the conference, Greta Eskridge, who wrote a book called Adventuring Together, and Amber Johnston, who wrote a book called A Place to Belong. And two more things. Another conference speaker was Julie Bogart, and her book Brave Learner has been a great inspiration and challenge to me, especially as I have these creative girls who like to go make giant messes and spend time being creative when I would rather they just toe the line and do what I tell them to do academically. And especially as I know you guys have heard us process with Elise, who doesn't toe the line academically on almost anything. If you're a birth order person, you might be interested to know that she's our third born. And then I also made a lot of progress in listening to The End of Craving by Mark Schatzker, which we've discussed off and on over time. And if you guys haven't picked up his book, it has changed in a lot of ways the way I think about food and especially the way I think about food that is fortified. So if you, any almost any breakfast cereal, almost any bread product that you purchase is going to be fortified with things like iron and various B vitamins like niacin and riboflavin. Totally changed the way I think about that uh, in the sense that I really want to avoid that, any of that stuff for my family, and even most vitamin supplementation. I am now pretty set against doing for us and our family. Ooh, no vitamin supplements? Correct. Okay. Uh, is that different Let's than, dive into is, Schatzker then. Is that different than um, nutri, nu, you know, nutritional supplements? Define nutritional supplement. Like my protein powder or our MCT oil or fish oil or um, your liver. Yes, it's a bit your, different. Your liver. A little bit different, partly because those are are not synthetic. Pretty much any vitamin supplement that we're taking is synthetic. So the it's not it's not in the synthet- form that it's so found in nature. What's his name that does the podcast that I always end up buying stuff when he advertises? Oh, it? Sean Stevenson. Sean Stevenson. The Model Health Show. The Model Health Show. He is incredibly insistent that all of your supplements, if you do take any sort of supplements, are all the ingredients are extremely pure. Yes. And so that's. That's you know, one he's pretty big thing. Yep. He's, so the stuff he advertises is obviously is a, is a trustable quality. Yeah. Um, and that's like when I take my protein powder, I'm using a. I had a pro deal for a company called 
caged muscle. And I did a bunch of research on caged muscle and they are, they're very responsible about trying to get really clean mm-hmm. ingredients for all of their, all of their nutritional supplements. Which is good. They don't do vitamin supplements. They do like nutritional. Okay. Things. So I'm going to throw out two things. One is a, so vitamin D, I've been seeing a lot of people saying, you know, with COVID, people with severe COVID were often found to have a vitamin D deficiency. There's a little bit of a a chicken egg question that has arisen in my mind with that, which is, do you have a root cause that's depleting your vitamin D or are you just not getting enough vitamin D into your system? And I'm leaning toward the previous explanation, which is your body is not metabolizing or storing vitamin D. Also, People who I've heard rail against vitamin D supplementation will say that that what's tested when you get your vitamin D reserves tested is not actually an accurate way of testing how your body's doing vitamin D wise. But they also say if your body is indeed deficient in vitamin D, you probably have a root cause for why your body is not processing what you are consuming in terms of vitamin D. And the vitamin D that you take as a supplement is actually a hormone that functions as a steroid. So it does help you get better when you're sick if you take thousands and thousands of milligrams of vitamin D or if you, like, even as recently as two winters ago, I supplemented vitamin D for our kids all winter because we're Mm -hmm. in the Northern Hemisphere and we get limited sunlight and we spend less time outside and and COVID and all the things. Well, I didn't do any vitamin D supplementation for any of us this year. Because I kept seeing these things saying over the long term, just like taking a steroid over the long term is bad for your body, mm-hmm. over the long term, vitamin D supplementation can actually have detrimental effects on your body. And it's not actually the form of vitamin D that you would be getting through food or optimally through sunlight. So that's an example. And in almost any vitamin that you take, no matter how pure the form, if you're buying from Mary Ruth's or from... Ben, what's his name? Ben Lynch, the dirty jeans guy who has his own line of vitamins and carefully formulates them and them and things. Uh, all of those are still not the bioavailable forms that you would get from food. So Jared mentioned liver pills. I've been buying desiccated liver pills, which are dried liver in pill form because nobody really wants to eat. There are liver. people. There are people who Molly, do. Okay, so you guys, Molly actually asked me to maybe save the organs from the elk that I shot, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. A lot of people do. Okay, so I. So maybe it's something you could mix in, like you said, you mixed in liver to. I've been our... buying a pound of liver every week at the natural health food store. Okay, I get it frozen, I puree it in the food processor, and I mix it into whatever ground elk or ground beef. Once a week, because you actually, it's so potent in Mm -hmm. liver that you really only need a helping a week. And it's chock full. So this year you want to, you would prefer your dad and I to harvest the livers. And the heart. And the heart as well. Uh Are you going to puree the heart? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Organ meats are some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. I find it kind of repulsive, but... Okay, did you I'll, like? I'll go for it. Did you like the meatballs that we ate for dinner last night? Well, they, yeah, 
the taste between your Korean beef and the meatballs tasted it's completely fine, normal. Right? You would have no yeah. idea unless you were told. And I what doesn't I'm appeal to me is when it's like, okay, here's the liver that I just an cooked, an and I'm going to slice a piece of liver off and eat it. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. no, no. So the, the hardcore people actually eat their liver raw because that's the most bioavailable. Not happening. It kills. Nope. And there I've got to be starving. There are people who puree liver and put it into smoothies. You guys, I've got to be <laughs> starving before that happens. You probably, you don't drink smoothies, but if I were to put an ice cube tray worth of, or an ice cube worth of pureed liver into a red smoothie with strawberries and blueberries and oranges and pineapple, know. the kids would yeah. never know. Well, I see, I do, the, I, do the, I do some protein shakes and I'm always kind of looking for interesting... So you need some liver cubes for your protein shakes. Um, yeah, I'd be down with that. It's chocolate peanut butter. I don't think I'd taste the okay, liver so, at all. Okay, so going back to the original point, which is Schatzker believes, at least as far as I am in his book, I'm not finished with it yet, but that a huge problem with the American diet is this supplementation through artificial things and he call he has a, a name for it and I don't know if he coined this name but it's nutritive mismatch and the brain and your sense of smell and your sense of taste are so finely integrated into your metabolism and your digestive system that your brain actually fires up your metabolism based on what it's tasting and so for another example, it's not just nutritional stuff. A huge problem in American culture is sugar-free stuff and not just Diet Coke, but also monk fruit sweetener and stevia. He says the brain gets a message, sweet, I'm ingesting a certain number of calories. And then when it doesn't get the amount of calories to match, the brain basically turns into the blue circle of death on your computer going, I don't know what to do with this because when I get sweet and this is going, you know, when God says we are fearfully and wonderfully made, it's incredible how he formed the body to be so holistically integrated with how we eat and digest food. So with artificial sweeteners, both natural like stevia, as well as not natural, like you'd get in, in a diet Coke or a sugar-free yogurt, for example, that you would buy for your kids, those actually screw up your metabolism. Uh, and he quotes this right at the last part that I listened to. He quotes this Canadian researcher who says, Americans are the most heavily supplemented country on the planet and also one of the most unhealthy. So he's in Canada and there's a consuming vitamins culture in Canada too, but they don't have their foods that are fortified are more regulated. So if you buy a breakfast cereal, you could buy, you know, Captain Crunch with blue food coloring up the wazoo in it. And it has all these nutritional facts. Like it's got vitamin Crunch B berry, and it's Captain got, Crunch. okay. It's got, I just saw like, apparently there was Captain Crunch blue imitation maple syrup on the market for a while. There was nothing real in it. And it was like bright blue. It's so bad That's for gross. you. <laughs> but uh, do you remember, do you remember once upon a time, maybe in the early two thousands, they were selling colored ketchup, like purple ketchup. It didn't take off because it weirded people out. No. But it was also like, here's this food that's decent, other than the high fructose corn syrup, decently, you know, it's a tomato product. And we're going to just overwhelm the red in the tomato product with blue so kids can put blue ketchup on their 
hamburger on their hot dogs. Anyway, so this this researcher is trying to figure out why Americans are so much more unhealthy than Canadians, and he believes it has to do with the fact that our fortified foods, like cereal, are more fortified than Canadian fortified foods because our industry isn't regulated. And you get all these bonus points in the minds of parents if they're like, look, I'm feeding my kid pure sugar and, you know, whatever, but it's got, you know, iron added. It's got all of these different nutritional things that are just added in. Now, backing up, we're going to, I'll back up to the, to the episode where we did talk about the podcast with Sean Stevenson, who had on Mark Schatzker. Mm-hmm. I'll dig up a show notes uh, link for the uh, episode. But he talked about the reason that America started doing fortified foods was... Pelager. Yes. A deficiency that was causing like epic amounts of sickness somewhere else in the world. Uh, right? both, the, you, the, both the American South poor American South, and a particular region in, in Italy. Yeah. So that's why we end up having these fortified foods. Yes. A and good it's, thing And it's arrive. just taken off. They keep adding. Mm-hmm. So in, so he says in the book, though, in, in Italy, when they realized that this was, it was a new, very simple B vitamin nutritional deficiency, they started doing things like commute for poor Italians who were just subsisting on a handful of things that weren't particularly a corn-based diet, they so they weren't getting all of the vitamins that they need. Kind of like, we all know, um, what's the disease that sailors would get? Scurvy. Scurvy. So he talks about scurvy, too. And these they had no idea why their teeth were falling out and things like that. And they would land on islands, and there would be prickly pear cacti on the islands. And they would look at the fruit of the prickly pear cacti and just inhale them and they're they're super sour and not the sort of thing that you would eat one after the other after the other and then take back to your ship but they had this internal craving that told them eat this and they started feeling better within hours or days because the prickly pear cactus hence when i have a craving for ice cream or oreos i just fulfill that craving and it's good because my body's telling me okay, that's what i want speaking of ice cream <laughs> speaking of ice cream i can't though, get over that joke though like i know that, uh, i know sorry, well the yes, interesting thing goes is, back to that episode the interesting we thing about. is it does and i actually want to get our bodies tuned properly so that when we do have a craving for something it is telling us something about what our bodies need but I'll give you an example that he uses about ice cream because it's not, oh, it, it's not just artificial sweeteners. There is chemical, there is a chemical adjustment for everything. So ice cream can be fat free, but then they add all these thickeners to make it have the mouthfeel of fat. And it's this really complicated chemical process and dance to get a fat-free ice cream to taste like a full-fat ice cream. And then they take the sugar out of it, and they substitute back in all these things. And then the uh, aspartame used to leave a bitter taste in your mouth, so then you get a chemical added so it doesn't leave a bitter taste in your mouth, like like real sugar. And you get these ice creams that you think are good for you. And what they're doing, they're not... They're screwing your brain up because your brain says, okay, I'm eating a full fat, lots of sugar. This is the amount of calories and fat that I'm ingesting through this, but it's not. And so your body is just not properly digesting or metabolizing what you're getting food-wise. So 
I just came away from listening to this going, I want to avoid foods like bread and crackers and cereals that are fortified for my kids and myself. I want to avoid artificial sweeteners, including the natural ones like stevia and monk fruit. And I want to avoid things that are telling my body this is going to be very filling and satisfying for you because it's high in fat when, in fact, it's not. And it's just going to mess with my brain's ability to tell my body how to metabolize So basically, you guys, we're not buying anything at the store. (laughs) We're not going out to eat. And we're not... (laughs) Truly, I mean, so I'm actually trying to find a balance because then you go travel and you're buying, you're eating out and then you're in the airport and everything that you have to eat is triggering this fear in you that you're screwing your body up. I I feel like there's... So so Stevenson talks about this a lot. He said there's no, you know, there's no magic formula. There's a lot of really, really good things out there you can do, but it's never just one thing. It's... He likes to say, you know, you're stacking the deck in your favor. And so you do all of these little things and those equate to the big things. I feel like, you know, if you are... I mean, I can't imagine what you're doing to your body by having your venti uh, caramel mocha caramel latte every single day. Which, by know. the way, um, they he mentioned Starbucks because right. every everything about Starbucks is carefully carefully chemically, uh, you know, handled. Yeah. So. You know, if you're doing that every single day, you're eating lunch every single day, at a you're, restaurant. or you're or you're making that ham and cheese sandwich. You're like, well, I'm going to make my own lunch, but you're using fortified bread, fortified bread, and ham with all the nitrates. Exactly, all the stuff. <laughs> you know, you're kind and of cheese screwed. with food coloring. In if it. you're doing that all the time, I think that's a bad thing. But I don't think you're going to do a lot of damage by by. Every now and Having then. a generally I mean, healthy system that can process yeah, this stuff. Yeah. Have a, the, yeah. The interesting thing for me, especially, okay, so I'm going to get back to the supplements and then we can move on because some people are probably beating their heads against the wall or turning us off right now because this isn't interesting to them. But so in now, I can't remember what decade. And because this book is on. I want to hear about your recap of that's Wild true. and Free. Because you know that. This is, I, I'm still mentally on the plane ride down. This is what I did on the plane ride down. <laughs> because. Because. Okay, Three hours because later. I'm listening to this book on Audible, I can't go back and reference things. But at some point in American industrial farming, they were trying to figure out how to get pigs fatter, more cheaply, and faster. So that means on food that they control, mm-hmm. instead of having them graze openly. Better, in, more profitable yields. Yes, in a smaller amount of space. So they call it dry farming. So they want the pigs... In a, in a cage, basically, where they're not moving around, they're not taking up a bunch of space, and they can control their diet. And so they did all of this experimenting somewhere in Chicago, in the Chicago area, back and forth with different food feeds. And they figured out that pigs would grow really fast, really, really fat, really fast on a combination of corn and soy. But then all of a sudden, they would plateau and then get sick. And they figured out that they needed to supplement or fortify the pig's food with a combination of B vitamins. So you see where I'm going here? The optimal diet for a pig to get really fat, really fast, is minimal movement 
and eating a diet heavy in corn and soy that's fortified with B vitamins. Now, so tell me the typical American... Yeah. Typical American what? This is what Americans consume. It we, is absolutely what Americans consume. I mean, look, we, we eat chips, we eat cereal, we eat white breads, we eat and macaroni and cheese. Corn and soy pasta, heated in all of these. Spaghetti. I mean, your and your, they're all your vegetable with oil, the B vitamins. Corn syrup is going to have corn have corn in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, corn and soy. They even for a while tried making cars run on corn. Fortified with B vitamins. Fortified with B vitamins is the is the <laughs> ideal. And you realize that they do like pigs are pigs are really similar to humans in the sense that they do kind of the pigs are like the bigger version of rats where. They they do skin grafts actually in experiments. <clears throat> Hearts with... don't transplant well though. No, not yet. But 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 we are similar enough to pigs that there should be serious alarm bells going off, and there are for Schatzker as he's discovering this and doing all of this other learning about supplementation. That if this is how you get a pig to get really fat really fast, <laughs> maybe this is why Americans are struggling with weight is because we. Not only have we created metabolic dysfunction through nutritional mismatch, but we also are eating this diet that's optimized for pig okay. pig farming. So you've now landed the plane in Dallas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? Um, okay, so give me a recap on the Nashville hat wearing. Super trendy well, first, well, millennial first, moms. Well, at first this we went to Waco and oh my we did gosh, the whole guys, Chip and Joanna Gaines thing, which they was went to, they so went, fun. The, uh, they went to Magnolia. Mm-hmm. Is it is it worth the hype? Is there anything for dudes? I mean, there were a lot of guys sitting on benches outside of stores holding bags. Uh. <laughs> there, um, there's one men's store that's stuff that apparently Chip Gaines curates. So there's all these little stores that they've added to the main home store and then the main other store. I feel like this could be a, this should be like a dude's paradise. How many peep craftsmen do do Chip and go Joanna Gaines? I mean, look, Joanna decorates. Everything's wang coats, decorations, women love decorations. Dudes are like Craftsmanship, wood, tools, tables, chairs. There, there is. So, so the why are they all sitting on benches? The because the craftsmen that they use on their TV shows have their own shops, and but not in the not in the Waco Magnolia complex. That's the problem. No, it's not because no, it's not. It's actually it's let it's because then all the girls sit on the benches while the dudes. No, not necessarily. So you haven't even followed all of this, but no, I. Never really got no, but but there's a there's a really cool metal worker. He's kind of this bearded dude. He has his own he has his own shop, and he's not hard to find. But he wouldn't fit in this nicely curated. This this compound is because they bought it because there were two abandoned Mm -hmm. silos that they developed a vision for turning into this lively cultural place, and then they've built stores. There's a home goods store, and it does have tables and things like that that are nicely crafted. I have a vision. But but the the guy who builds things on their show, at least the first couple seasons that I watched when I was watching it regularly, they they would have Clint Harp. Every episode, he would build something. Like, when they're tearing the house down, they would save some wood, and he would build a custom table out of wood from the house that they demoed, or something like that. Well, 
the Harps now have, he has a book. He has his own shop that people is a destination in and of itself. They, for a while, had their own TV show. And so their their own... I mean, the Gaines have been... We went to dinner. I can't remember the name of the Which restaurant. Which of and Joanna? No, it's somewhere that Rebecca had found. Do they live in suggested. Waco? Yeah, they do. Hmm. Actually, they live outside of Waco on, on some acreage. But they... The, this our server, so he you know so what do you girls do you know do you guys live here what are you doing here and we're like well we just came down for the gains thing and he's like you know they have done so much for this community in terms of he was just really optimistic and upbeat like not ragging on these three middle aged women who were clearly <laughs> just fangirling but he was he had just really positive things to say he said they. You know, they they bring in a ton of tourism, and I'm sure the restaurant he works at has benefited from people wanting to come and see the Magnolia thing. But also, they, they've created so much, so many jobs right in their community. And the, um, the Magnolia complex has a food truck park. Some of them are their own food trucks, so miniature versions of restaurants. But there's another area that there's a barbecue one and an Asian fusion stand and a macaroni and cheese one. And I think there were two others that I can picture as I close my eyes and think of it. But they've actually done a a ton for the community. Mm. And it was just really fun to have a server who, not trying to pander to us, because I think we'd already had paid our bills and given them our tips but just genuinely <laughs> was appreciative of the people that we had that had drawn us down to waco that's, so we that's did, nice so we did the waco thing <laughs> the very is probably just like oh thank god it's not david koresh anymore <laughs> seriously right so we um so then we went up to dallas and rebecca had found this cool vrbo very industrial apartment complex just a couple blocks from where the the conference was and yeah jr commented on nashville though if you're not familiar with the wild and free community or movement or whatever it's a very i lots of women with the blunt bang haircut and women in linen rompers or linen outfits and tons of baby wearing which i baby wore too so i can't can't fault that, but uh, just a very, uh, very obvious, distinct aesthetic that I don't necessarily fit into. But I did have a couple of friends locally that I know have cute, trendy hats offer to loan me their hats. And I was like, I'd feel like such a poser wearing that. I just got to be me. I got to be comfortable, you know, step out of my comfort zone a little bit I mean, to look well, you, nice. I, I, but you guys, I, I, encur- I, I encouraged her to dress like her mother because her mother has a very unique, elegant, regal, very dignified style that stands out from most people, in my opinion, which I thought would be a look that would be phenomenal for you to I'm rock. I'm too casual for my exactly, mom so far. Yeah, exactly. I, though, I You'll get there you when you're her age, right? I, I found a tutorial on YouTube. Jared was ragging on me for being on my phone late at night in bed, and I... I told him, look, I am actually doing research because I had a pair of jeans that I thought I could turn this into a jean skirt. And sure enough, it's crazy easy if you have even very minimal sewing skills 
to turn a pair of jeans into kind of an A-line pencil skirt. And it took me an hour on a Friday afternoon to do it. And I think I wore it to dinner at friend's house on that Friday right after I made it. I wore it to church on Sunday, and then I wore it for the first night of the conference. And it's the sort of thing where it's super comfortable. It looks a little bit dressy, but it doesn't look like I'm, it didn't look like I was trying too hard and Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I wasn't myself. And I could have worn it with flats, but down in Dallas, I wore it with chacos because I wanted to be able to walk everywhere and be comfortable. So I will tell you. Two highlights from speakers at the conference, and then, and then, if I have time, I'll talk about reading, finishing the Great Divorce on the plane ride home because I really liked finish. I really, I'm tired. I'm just simply like I'm coming. I'm, you guys mentally like Molly talks nonstop. Right during the show, I record show notes, and basically, a lot of it is for the uh, the show notes in the episode episode notes and he also links. you guys should know makes time markers for if i burp or something yes so and i also but i've also been trying to be more cognizant and i always forget because i get engaged this is where having a a, a secondary producer comes in handy or an assistant producer that can listen to the show and pull out highlights and clips for promotional purposes i've been trying to do that more because there's some things that i don't do to market the show that I would like to start doing, but anyway, I was just kind of chuckling as you were talking about my, I just, all I simply wrote was Molly goes to Magnolia. And then I thought of like all of the little kid adventure books back in the day. (laughs) Molly goes to the zoo. Molly goes to the museum. Molly goes wild and free. Molly goes to wild and free. I was joking with Carrie and Rebecca that wild and free meant not wearing a bra under my tank top. And... (laughs) I I think Carrie wasn't quite sure if I was serious or not because on our walk there the first day she's like, "Are you wearing a bra?" <laughs> yeah, you said yeah, this is yeah. wild and free, barefoot and braless, right? I know, right? But I'm not going to walk barefoot in the. My kids never wear clothes. We did have a speaker who ended up being I, from that Calispo, was you. You told me that, that her daughter was on the way home naked most kind of, of the time. Kind of weird. Uh, yeah, she How was, old was she. Well, when she was young, oh. like Faith Sage, I guess right. her daughter just didn't wear clothes. But Covered she in did, dirt and She food. did encourage us from a physiological perspective to Go have naked. kids. Ba- okay. not, not naked, but barefoot. And then mm-hmm. also we have so many nerve endings on our hands and our lips and our feet that kids are wired to experience the world through that. So she was like, how many of you are constantly telling your kids? Her name was Carla Hannaford, by the way. I did not buy her book, so I didn't mention her in the stack of books that I just posted on Instagram. But she said, how many of you guys are constantly telling your kids, stop touching everything? You take him into a store and you say, don't touch everything. But she said their their brain's ability to understand what's going on around them is actually predicated on being able to touch things as well as... And then she said, how many of you guys are constantly telling your kids, don't put that in your mouth. Get things out of your mouth. Don't put that in your mouth. There's a there's a drive because there's so many nerve endings in our mouths to experience the world in a holistic way through our feet, through our hands, and through our mouths. So anyway, that was that was bonus information that I wasn't planning to talk about. But I I did not go barefoot at the conference, except for because of the sweltering heat. I'm not used to 90 degree temperatures. My feet swelled and my chacos were uncomfortable, so I did take them off while I was sitting in my seat. So the first night was a speaker named Elsie Ludicello, who is of Cuban descent. I've been following her 
on Instagram for a while because she mentioned because she when there were uprisings in Cuba several months ago, she was narrating it from a, I have family there who is communicating with me. And here are things that you should know about what's going on perspective. And she mentioned Robert Farrar Capon partly through. And I was like, okay, I just met you and I love you. Um, and she <laughs> gave a really lovely talk about the values of truth, beauty, and goodness in particularly in what we're trying to accomplish relationally that our homeschooling needs to be very relational with our kids and attuned to them. And those are the goals that we're trying to accomplish, not necessarily academic achievement that can be graded on a test. And one thing that I don't know if you know who the English educator in the 1800s, Charlotte Mason was, but she's kind of a fairy godmother, if you will, of Mm -hmm. homeschoolers. And she has many, many volumes of books that I haven't even attempted to crack. But there were a lot of lovely quotes from her that made me think that I should figure out how to dive into Charlotte Mason's philosophy a little bit more. So that was one of my favorite speakers. The other favorite speaker that I had was a gal named Amber O'Neill Johnston. And she And you know she's an author because she uses three names. Or maybe she had some sort of career. You either you have to have she was three names or you have name. to use your first initial and then a name and a name. No, not necessarily. There are it, there is a legit or multiple initials. Maybe. There with is a name. there is a legit thing where women who have created some sort of name for themselves prior mm-hmm. to getting married Use both names. Continue yeah, to that's go fine. by both names so mm-hmm. that they don't lose name recognition. So I don't know if that's that's her deal or not, but she That's what is, Hadley did with Dead Reckoning. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and medical professionals often do that too. So she, or any sort of public figure really. So Amber Johnston is black and she, I the reason I'm bringing her up here is not only because I liked her, because I think a lot of our our people out there would appreciate her also. And this is why she wrote a book called A Place to Belong. And I was resisting purchasing a whole bunch of books in the display area, the exhibition area of the conference. But I went and bought her book immediately after her talk because I said, this is somebody whose whose message I want to imbibe more of. And she told a couple stories that were genuine experiences of racism that she is a black woman and raising a black family in America has had. And they weren't victim complex. In fact, at one point she was like, I was really tempted to cancel this lady and just write her off and not engage with her. And I thought, what good does that do for her or for me? So I'm going to, I'm going to address things with her. And it was this woman who was complaining about how low class and distasteful Black characters in a post-Civil War, a book situated in in post-Civil War America, how they were talking. And she was like, not only is it historically accurate how these characters are talking, but also it's your sense of what's aesthetically pleasing and taste is not, is not, how did she put it? She put it so beautifully that, again, these homeschool 
classical education model, we talk about instilling values of truth, beauty, and goodness in kids. And so she said, your sense of beauty is incomplete when you haven't been exposed to other cultures in such a way that you develop a taste for the beauty of how God created the world and diversity that that takes into account or accommodates that particular form of beauty. And I think about this in terms of of developing a taste for food. You know, we expose our kids to sushi on a regular basis and they'll taste it and it doesn't taste good to them. And then for Lily, about a year ago, it just clicked and she loves sushi. And that's an in into appreciating an entirely different culture's cuisine and possibly a whole culture eventually. Likewise with, you know, I think of people who grow up in communities where they have access to not just Indian food, but they understand the nuances of northern Indian food where they do the the big ovens and it's actually a colder environment versus southern Indian food where it's much spicier and they're doing the curries instead of the tandoori in northern and they're eating rice in the south and wheat products in the north. And for us, there's this flattened like, oh, Indians eat curry. And instead, there's a ton of nuance and it. Indian curry is different from Thai curry, which is different from Pakistani curry. And if you live in a community... I think of London, where you can go have Pakistani food versus, you know, I I don't live in London, so I'm going to sound uneducated here. But the, what I'm getting at is, is the more exposure you have, the more appreciation you have for the beautiful diversity of how God created human food and human culture writ large, and our sense of appreciation for the beauty of God creating culture is incomplete, the less exposure that we have, which is probably going to be one of the incredibly mm-hmm. delightful things about heaven is that we're no longer limited by cultural constraints or by time or by cost in being able to sample and enjoy the beauty of all these different cultures that we just right now, we literally just get little, little tastes and little glimpses of. And so for her, she's also, I have to turn everything into a conversation about food, right? (laughs) But she's saying in terms of language, there's a particular beauty and a particular comfort to black vernacular that someone who is from outside of that culture simply doesn't have the taste buds developed to appreciate. Mm. And so she said to say, I don't like how those people talk is is evidence of an incomplete sense of beauty, which is such a beautiful way of challenging people to, uh, the, to use the cliche terms, into diversity and inclusion, right? That you have an incomplete sense of beauty if you haven't developed a taste to appreciate people and things, their way of talking, their way of eating, their way of dressing, their way of living writ large that is different from your own. And then she she went on to explain some more nuances of how she lives in two cultures. She's essentially, and I, having studied cultural things in working cross-culturally, you, th- you hear about missionary kids who, they're American, but they're growing up in, an, in another culture, and so they don't fit nicely into, you know, say they're growing up in Mexico City, 
they speak they they speak two languages they look american they don't fit in with the mexican kids but then they come home and they don't fit in with the american kids either essentially she made the point that that as a black american she's she's also straddling cultures in that in 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 an analogous sense and that I don't know. So just her way of explaining some of the experiences of Black America were ways I had never heard before. And they were so approachable and and aspirational, if you will, that it's not mm. this, you better do this or you're a bigot, but expand your tastes to develop an appreciation for beauty because everybody benefits when there's more appreciation of be- the beauty of diversity in the world. So I loved her tone as well as her message that was genuinely challenging to me enough that I picked up her book and I'm going to throw this out there because I know that at least Laura, if not, and you, I already told you this though, but more people might appreciate this. She, she's, oh, so she's a homeschool mom. She's black. She's raising her kids. She actually started a black co-op homeschool co-op in the Atlanta area for a couple of unique needs that she felt like her kids needed in being with other black families which she makes a great case for in her book and I appreciated but she's also challenging people to expand our our appreciation for the beauty of our diverse cultural history and she's recommending a couple of musicians where she strives for diversity in their book mm-hmm. you know how they're um consuming media books and movies and music and she mentions a singer i should have bookmarked this and i didn't i'm not gonna be able to find it but she mentions a singer who whose name is Rhiannon giddens and as a black woman who is trying to keep alive the roots of some of black folk music and it it sent me on this she mentions that this woman is is a banjo player and since Jair is a banjo player I appreciated that and learned by googling her that the banjo (laughs) is actually historically a black instrument that makes sense I love hip-hop I was a band leader for a black gospel choir. It doesn't make sense at all. I was a semi-pro bass player with a black gospel group. So Only the, white guy so in the group. nobody knows exactly how the contemporary banjo came to be solidified as this one instrument. But if you look at different uh, traditional black instruments from Africa, they would use the materials at their disposal to make some sort of stringed instrument. And then as as black people were captured and turned into slaves and sent in various places throughout the Americas, they would use, again, what was at their disposal to make a string mm-hmm. instrument. So there was a version of a banjo, uh, you know, precursor in the Caribbean, and there was a different version of it in this part of the American South. And then eventually it kind of coalesced into what we know as a banjo. And then poor people poor white people as well as poor black people started using this instrument so folk music with a banjo in particular 
really arose out of poor culture because it was an instrument that could be made with cheap materials and and it it originated with probably with black slaves and so this particular singer that you can we can try to find something on youtube to link that we particularly like from her again her name is Rhiannon Giddens uh is trying to preserve some of that history through how she does her music which i just i don't know just one little glimpse from of things that i appreciated from this book a place to belong by amber o'neill johnston (sighs) wow um we're at 51 minutes ish should i talk about the great divorce or should i save that for next week (laughs) go okay so i also read about how it's a really fast read if you guys haven't read c.s lewis's great divorce uh if you don't know the premise of it he he kind of has this vision of heaven and uh george mcdonald explains some of what he's experiencing and souls that have been in purgatory essentially get to go visit heaven as these incomplete kind of ghost-like spirits and the solid reality of heaven the realness of things is painful the bright lights the the grass is like too sharp and too hard for these weak creatures to walk Mm. on and the as a general rule these he just records a bunch of conversations with people the real heavenly beings who encounter ghosts not ghosts the spirits some of whom they knew in in past lives and some of whom they didn't but he there's one that i mean all of the conversations are really interesting and thought-provoking about what people cling to that creates their own hell for them or that uh consigns them to hell but he he has one great one And he says, uh, let's see. So there's this incredible parade of people coming with light and spirits that are dancing and scattering flowers and uh, girls and boys dancing and singing uh, this beautiful melody that no score, a score that no one would ever grow sick or old and Musicians, and after these, a lady in whose honor all of this was being done. I cannot now remember whether she was naked or clothed. If she were naked, then it must have been the almost visible penumbra of her courtesy and joy which produces in my memory the illusion of a great and shining train that followed her across the happy grass. If she were clothed, then the illusion of nakedness is doubtless due to the clarity with which her inmost spirit shone through the clothes." For clothes in that country are not a disguise. The spiritual body lives along each thread and turns them into living organs. A robe or a crown there is as much one of the wearer's features as a lip or an eye. But I have forgotten, and only partly do I remember the unbearable beauty of her face. Is it? Is it? I whispered to my guide. Not at all, said he. It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. She seems to be, well, a person of particular importance. Aye, she is one of the great ones. You've heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. 
And who are those gigantic people? Look, they're like emeralds who are dancing and throwing flowers before her. Haven't you read your Milton? A thousand liveried angels lackey her? And who are those young men on each side? They are her sons and daughters. Oh, she must have had a very large family, sir. Every young man or boy that met her became her son, even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door. Every girl that met her was her daughter. Isn't that a bit hard on their own parents? No, there are those who steal other people's children, but her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them more. Few men looked on her without becoming, in a certain fashion, her lovers, but it was the kind of love that made them not less true, but truer to their own wives. And how, but hello, what are all those animals? A cat? Two cats, dozens of cats, and all those dogs? Why, I can't count them, and the birds and the horses. They are her beasts. Did she keep a zoo? I mean, this is a bit too much. Every beast and bird that came near her had its place in her love. In her they became themselves. And now the abundance of life that she has in Christ from the Father flows over into them. I looked at my teacher in amazement. Yes, he said. It is like when you throw a stone into a pool and the concentric waves spread out further and further. Who knows where it will end? Redeemed humanity is still young and it has hardly come to its full strength. But already there is joy enough in the little finger of a great saint such as yonder lady to waken all the dead things of life or into the universe, all of the dead things of the universe into life. I don't know. I just, I thought that was a really Hmm. cool, lovely passage about the spiritual reality of being kind to people and being kind to animals and inner beauty and the heavenly value of it. And I actually, in my deep stack of books that I brought down here that I thought I might have time to reference. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, I, when people talk about karma and life and things like that, I, I frequently think about the call we have similar to what he's writing about for, you know, being kind, not because you want to get something, but because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. No, I, yeah. And that just the, the hidden and deep value of, um, of spiritual reality that has nothing to do with what goes on on the outside. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't have time to, uh, look this up ahead of time, but in her book, love thy body, Nancy Piercy talks about, she actually, I'm fairly certain she, she references, uh, C.S. Lewis because she's got this chapter on people with disabilities and how valuable Mm -hmm. somebody who has a disability still is. And that, um, we can't even imagine the glory that somebody who currently looks like they have a broken mind or a broken body will have when they're um, when they're in their glorified body in heaven, which I think is. Just, Did, have, have have we told our listeners what my favorite pickup line from college was? Do I know what your favorite pickup line from college was? Am I going to like your? It's a Christian college. Favorite pickup line from college. Yeah. Hey. 
You're not going to change much when you get to heaven. You already got a glorified body. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. I've heard that before, but you're ridiculous. Probably for me. Gosh, I wish I could find that Nancy Piercy quote now because it's really lovely. I'll look through later today and see if I can find it to share out with people somehow. Cool. Maybe I'll put it on our blog, our never used blog. Put a quote on there. Anyway, there uh, yeah, everybody is has future glory that you can't see. And not only should we appreciate that future glory in other people, we can be part of cultivating that future glory in other people, in our children, by helping cultivate in them through joy and kindness and loving and appreciating them for who they are. And people with disabilities recognizing that there is a person made in the image of God with literally unmeasurable value and that value of that soul is the same as the value of your soul and that you usher in a little bit of heaven into the here and now by simply recognizing and trying to trying to interact with with the beauty of that other soul and tim keller makes that point in his book the meaning of marriage that we do that with our spouses that that I'm not only sanctifying you by virtue of rubbing up against you in a <laughs> in a in a conflict sense, you know, the way that a pearl needs sand in the oyster in order to develop into a pearl, but but that that I'm not just doing that and sanctifying you here on earth, but I'm also helping you to become the glorified experience in the here and now some of the glorified person that you will be in eternity like sarah smith from golden screen in the great divorce well i'll include a link to all of these books molly has mentioned in the show notes um amazon the associate program for referrals made it really difficult to put links in there so i've been including for books I've just been including a Barnes & Noble link because it's hashtag not Amazon. Um, you'll find those in the show notes. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can do that uh, through a variety of ways. The overwhelmingly most popular way to get a hold of us is to call us and tell us what's going on. If, but that, that was kind of a joke. You know, people who know us, they're all like, hey, guess what? <laughs> um, no, it's te our Telegram group. We have a group on the Telegram uh, chat app, and I'll include the link to uh, join that group if you want. There is, Molly said, we have how many members? You just looked. 60, uh, it's like 66. 66 with, you know, a couple dozen really active uh, members. So join the conversation there. But shout out to Maggie who just joined and posted something Sweet. just now. I just logged on to check that. Nice. Love it. Um, yeah, you can join that group and, uh, you know, give your feedback on the show, talk about what we've talked about, or what usually happens is people talk about a ton of other stuff in the chat group too. But it's kind of a cool, kind of a cool resource. You can also go to our website, www.toobusytoflush.com, and send us a message there. We do have an Instagram account. 
Um, at too busy to flush, all grammatically correct. However, we don't post to it very much. I just um, posted a picture of a book, stack of books. Yeah. <clears throat> I've been trying to be a little more deliberate about sitting down and doing a little bit of marketing every single day. But quite frankly, it's it's a lot of work, and I just don't even know. Honestly, it's my whole my whole impression of social media, which can be a whole nother conversation. But um, somebody just put out something that said, you know, so-and-so's, oh, Jonathan Haight and somebody else. Email or somebody's posted a link. That, oh, it Telegram. Somebody did a Telegram link to an article where social media is making people, oh, making America dumber. I think that dumber. was Maggie. And I'm like, I'm like, man, I've been saying that for years. Um, so I've, I've really struggled with, with incorporating a good comprehensive social media account, social media, you know, effort. But I've also recognized that, you know, recent numbers have come out with say Twitter. I just saw some numbers today that almost 50% of most accounts, most user base on Twitter is spam bots, um, phishing or dead accounts, um, for the most part. So, like, Biden has 60% of Biden's followers don't even really exist. Yeah, you know? wild. Huh? Trump was, like, 70%. Uh, Elon Musk is 70% of fake accounts. So, how much effect does that really have? It's hard to say. So, anyway, um, I really went on a tangent there. It's I'm sorry. It's an existential crisis that we have because we are fairly confident that you guys don't want to see our faces on Instagram making silly reels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had this conversation in the van on the way home, you we guys. Did, but we don't need to talk about it right okay. now. We can save it for next week or something. Yeah. What is? Why do? Why? What are? Why are reels? What? What the heck? That's all I got. What? Okay. Um. I think that's it. Oh man, I about. had food I wanted to talk about. Oh. Shoot, maybe we should record an episode later in the week because we are going to be living out of the van oh, Saturday right. through be... the next Thursday. Yeah, we're gonna be. We're not gonna have a normal show, so we can try to do another show. Maybe Friday afternoon towards the end of the week, and we'll we'll set it I'll up to auto post, food. guys. Automated posting on next Tuesday or something. Ish. And then we'll log our travels on Instagram. <laughs> Or just give it, you know, I'm kind of like building that community, that little Telegram community, I think is super cool. Uh Like, just post it there. That's true. They give a crap, and we know they're real. And then we're not posting pictures of our kids in public places. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, oh, there you go. Hey, I have to go to the bathroom, so we're done. Oh, all right. Take care, guys. See you next week. (laughs) 